seconds flat. Give me up. Put it down, put it This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my gosh. Hello again, friends. Welcome to mile 98 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here alongside my dear friend and colleague, Benjamin. Benji, how are you, babe? I'm doing great. And before we get started, I definitely want to give a shout out to our listeners in Istanbul. Istanbul, we thank you. (laughs) You know what? It's really funny sometimes when I get to look through where people listen from and see the flags of all the uh, countries that people, people actually listening to us from all over the globe. It, It kind of takes my breath away. It's really nice. We are glad to have all of you with us for Mile 98 on Spinks Run Fest weekend. Oh, man. I don't want to overstate it, but to call it anything less than the race series of the year would be an insult. Uh, 5K, 10K, half, and full marathon, most of which taking place on the Swamp Rabbit Trail. Weather, uh, we fought off some rain for a couple days. It looks like it's going to be really nice. By the time this gets out, the races will have happened. We're recording just hours before the gun goes off early tomorrow morning. I do want to give some love to a loyal listener of the program. I was at the expo today, and our friend, our man Josh, uh, he came up to me. He said, are you Travis from the podcast? And I said, yeah, big boy, talk to me. So Josh and I... Got to know each other. We talked about some of his goals, talked about his training. Great guy. Super excited for the race. So, Josh, you told me that you always eagerly anticipate the next episode. So it's good to know that Ben, you, I, and Josh are all three listening to the podcast with maybe tens of others, maybe dozens <laughs> or scores on a really good week. So. Josh, I hope you had a great race, man. It was really fun to get to talk to you today, and hopefully we'll see you out training, getting ready for whatever uh, next after your Spinks Run Fest marathon. You had some big goals, so hopefully you hit a PR, my man. Yeah, Benji, uh, what else you got going on, bud? So we've talked about this weekend's big marathon event. Yep. Let's go ahead and talk about next weekend's huge marathon event going on. We've got New York City coming up. We have another World Marathon major in New York City next weekend. Coverage will be on ESPN for that one. The New York City Marathon, the last of this series of majors that we had to squeeze into a condensed schedule in the fall. I'm going to go ahead and say, Benji, most loaded American field yet Mm. in this big fall. We saw... uh, some really great fields at Chicago and Boston in particular, but New York, which is on its traditional early November weekend spot, gets all three of the women who made our Olympic team uh, to headline the race, plus Des Linden doubling back off of Boston, plus Kellen Taylor one of the top 10 times in American history at grandma's a couple years ago. Plus I'm going to go ahead and say maybe the biggest American threat on the podium. I'm actually just spitballing right here. I have not thought this through at all. Obviously Molly Seidel is a huge threat given what she's done recently, but I'm going to go with the 10 K speed of Emily Sisson who did not make the Olympic marathon team, but ran a great marathon at London before that, actually has a better PR than, than Molly, uh, both in very limited experience. But I think this might be the one for Emily Sisson to make a run at the podium. I also think quality of race will be really high because now we've removed ourselves a little bit farther from the Tokyo Games. At Chicago and Boston weekend, we were still only nine weeks removed from the Olympic marathon. And so now at three plus months, the highest quality athletes can put in the highest quality training in a much more normal training cycle. So 
I, I like Emily Sisson maybe among the American women. And there are more than two, but maybe two best men's threats to, to podium here. One is Jared Ward. You can Not, never That's right. Not an Olympian this cycle, but in the previous cycle at Rio, he has said in recent interviews that he is kind of throwing to the side his traditional approach of be conservative, well-paced, close fast. And he has essentially said he wants to be on the podium. This is a put it all out there, podium style race. He knows he can't match every move maybe, but he's going to match some moves and run some faster miles early and mid-race than we're used to seeing out of him. And I'm going to go sneaky here with maybe my favorite American in his debut. I wonder if he ever goes by Benji like you. Ben True, Benji True, we will call him. Ben True, one of the great American roadrunners of all time. Uh, fantastic career in the 5,000 and 10,000. We, we saw even this summer, as he barely missed the Olympic Games, the track speed that he still has. Uh, the 20K earlier this fall, he looked fantastic. U.S. 20K champs at New Haven. Ben True could put up a really, really good time. I, I hate to put that kind of pressure on anyone's debut, but it, think about some of the, the great, the, like a Galen Rupp who took great track speed over to a great debut right away when he went longer on the roads. Ben True for a long time has said, I'm, I'm not there. I don't want to go the marathon distance on the road, but he seems to be all in now. And I'm going to put him right at the front of the American leaders here and it will be interesting to see we expect Kenanisa Bekele to come back off of Berlin who is just seconds off the world record he has to be a threat to win in New York on what is traditionally that beautiful fall marathon weather on a challenging course uh, particularly with the bridges the late hills when you get into Central Park the sounds of New York, so much energy and enthusiasm. It can be difficult to control the emotion when you come across the bridge that first time into Manhattan and you have a long, flat, straight, and the crowds are just roaring. This all makes me want to go run in New York in a week. Should be a great event. We'll talk about it a little bit more uh, on the next episode, which I will just hint at here briefly. I'm coming back off a little bit of a, an injury. That's why we haven't had episodes out the past couple of weeks. My good friend, Phil Gregory, is going to join the program, physical therapist who works with runners of all levels and himself an avid runner. And we're going to talk some of the prehab stuff, some of the physical therapy stuff, how you can stay healthy and enjoy running a little bit more. So you'll get that on mile 99. Ben, let's talk about the training microcycle. Uh, that's the smallest unit we use to plan our training. And in the American running culture, in most Western running culture, and now in a lot of the world, that training cycle is seven days. It is natural. It falls like our work week where we have time off on the weekend. Most typically, we use that to fit in a long run. And then there are some kind of constructions leading up to it through the week. So uh, what I'd like to do here for everyone, Benji, is kind of go through what a seven-day training cycle might look like, what's traditional, what you've used. Uh, you're coaching some cross-country now, what that uh, team is doing. Uh, I'll give some input there. But then we want to bring to you some options. We have briefly discussed some 9, 10, 12, maybe 14-day even options in the past here. And I'd like to dig into those a little bit more and how you could make those fit to work for you. So we'll unpack uh, some, some ways that maybe you can get away from the norm to make yourself a more effective, successful, and happy runner. Benjamin, let's start with you. Kick it off for me, bud. Let's talk about what you've used as your traditional seven-day constructions, you know, whether it's just you training on your own now or maybe with your college team, high school. What, what has the seven-day often looked like for you? 
Yeah. Uh, so my college actually did things a little bit different than what the typical seven day week looks like. Oh, good. And this was just because uh, we were a Baptist college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we weren't allowed to practice on Sundays and Saturdays were actually meets for us most of the time. Um, so a typical week for us would look like a Monday long run. Mm-hmm. And then the Thursday would be some sort of either race pace interval or like higher intensity interval. And then we'd have more of a tempo fartlek hill sort of strength piece on a Friday afternoon. Um, those long runs though, for us were a third workout. Mm-hmm. Um, typically the guys on the team went anywhere from like 13 to 16 miles. Um, and we used the first pretty much up until 10 let me rephrase that. Say it was a 15-mile long run. We would use the first five miles to kind of work into it. And then we'd run kind of a steady pace the last 10, somewhere around like marathon pace or a little bit quicker, just a higher aerobic effort that made it a little more challenging than like an easy run. Steady. Something yeah. steady. Steady. I'm going to have you unpack and clarify two pieces to that, Ben. You laid out a Monday a Thursday and a Friday of quality. Uh, I meant a Wednesday and a Friday. Okay. Okay. I I thought that might be correct. And then to build off of that, that is assuming this is not a race week, right? It was a race week. The long run stays the same. Uh, Wednesday looks more like a race prep type of workout. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's usually a blend of different things. It's not just we're doing short and fast or doing strength. Uh, we would usually do like a tempo piece, some 200s, a tempo piece, something like strides after that, mm-hmm. uh, and then race Saturday. I really like that layout. Uh, in some way, you were forced to do it, but I think this is a really nice setup for anyone working with um, a high school uh, or college schedule or also any schedule that precludes you from running in a structured environment on a Sunday. That Saturday, then wait till Monday to go long. For most scholastic programs, that makes a lot of sense. And then one quality effort during the week. That's a really nice, again, assuming you're racing on the next Saturday. For hypothetical structure here, let's say a Saturday race is your norm. Then that Monday long after a Sunday off is great. And then probably Wednesday or Thursday, if you were just going to work out once, uh, I would lean to Wednesday uh, like, like you did to have a little bit more time before your competition. You also mentioned a great point that the long run was a third workout. Regardless of the pace at which you approach a long run, it should be calculated as a workout. It's considered a workout regardless. And so Whether you're on a seven-day cycle, 10, 14, whatever it is, as we move forward through these steps, reminding yourself that the long run is a challenging effort and knowing that it counts as a workout, even if it's not one in the sense of what we will often call a long run workout, like you might do for half marathon or marathon training when there's a lot of quality involved in the long run, it's still a workout day. I would add that what you did on your non-race weeks where you went long plus two workouts is another typical structure. So for, for the uh, post-collegiate runner here, for, for everyone who's listening to us at regardless of your level where you don't race as often, it makes a lot of sense to, let's say you're going, like Saturday's your long run day, okay? For, for adults with jobs, that might make more sense, right? That it gets put in then rather than a Monday. It's not just after school practice, go do your long run with your team. You're maybe solo or with some friends, and so Saturday's your normal long run day. If you're going to put two workouts in, maybe Monday, Thursday works, If you go long on Sunday, some folks like to go the church of the Sunday long run, maybe you go Tuesday, Friday. I'll make two points to that. One, calculate the difficulty of your sessions. You probably don't want to have a really hard long run planned for Saturday coming off your hard workout on Thursday. 
you might have needed to do that harder of your two midweek workouts earlier in the week on Monday. The second piece to that is I err personally and with a lot of the athletes we work with as adults towards not overdoing it with two workouts plus a long run on your seven-day cycle. That can work a lot easier for you, Ben, when you were a college athlete, right? Um, it tends to work better for younger people who recover more quickly. I am at a point where I could not do that every week. It would, it would not be the most effective approach for me. And so just placing a single harder effort as a midweek session and then a weekend long run can be just as beneficial of a construction where you have two really quality days and in all these compositions that Ben and I are now speaking to, we're assuming that off days or cross training days or hopefully a lot of easy days, perhaps with some strides, hill sprints, those kind of things, fill in the gaps here on the other days of the week. Uh, you wanted to add something here, Ben? Yes. And I just wanted to point out, uh, I think at North Greenville, where I went to college, something that Coach Stober did so well with that structure, and something I agree with for pretty much all scholastic athletes, is that day between, on like race weeks, between the race and the long run, we're allowing a lot of recovery to go on. It doesn't just matter if muscularly a student feels like they've recovered because they're young. There's energy storage depletion. And their metabolism is so high at that age because they're growing and they can just eat anything. They probably aren't fueling as much as they should between the Saturday morning race and a Sunday morning long run. So I like the idea of getting those extra hours just to put more calories in the body. I'm totally in sync with you on this one, Ben, because one of the things I like least and the traditional collegiate training schedule that gets carried over to competitive athletes regardless of age within running is backing up a race and following it with a long run. And it only to me works when the long run is done incredibly easy, when it's just time on feet, because and I should say it only works consistently. Like you can get by. There's something to say. It's almost like the Canova-esque or Ingebrigtsen-esque double session day, you know, where they'll do back-to-back -back workouts. You can put stuff on back-to-back -back days if they're high quality, but you need a ton of recovery afterward. And you can't do it every single week where you race so hard. The race is the most challenging effort of the week. We say this over and over again regardless of how well you ran, the race is your hardest workout, both physically and mentally, the yes. way you engage. And to then follow that with a hard long run is probably doing more to dig you a hole than to make you better. So I am almost universally disenchanted when I see the schedules that do that. Now, one thing that some college coaches do really well is often they'll get Friday races. This is conference meet week for a lot of people. And you and I are recording late on a Friday evening. And today there were conference championships. And I think there's a lot of good programs who race Friday and then will wait till Sunday for the long run. Uh, and, and give their athletes a little bit of a break. But there has something has become ingrained over time where it's like just because this is what college teams have done for decades, where they go, they race and go long on the same weekend because we're college athletes and we're tough. It doesn't mean it's best for college athletes or especially for the rest of us. Regardless of level of ability, age also plays into that. Your goals play into that. So don't fall prey to just because you see this is what a lot of really good runners are doing. And I guarantee there's schools that have successful programs that are running a conference meet this weekend and then coming right back with a long run. I don't know that that's best even for them. I definitely agree. And you're right. Uh, even the top programs kind of fall victim to this. I uh, have a copy, I believe it's of the 20. 18 cross-country season for Northern Arizona University. I yep. have their training log. And every single week, 
except for the week before nationals, they have a long run. Mm -hmm. And every single time they race, it's the day after. 18 miles typically for them, 16 to 18. Now, the law does not specify a pace. Yep. So what they're doing during this run could vary. And those athletes are such of a high caliber and used to this mileage that it is different than you and I even going out there mm-hmm. and doing a long run. But they're a lot of times doing it at 7,000 feet. So that by mm-hmm. default makes it difficult. But the thing I'll, I'll counter that with that probably makes it more okay for them than it is for you, I, and our audience is one is a, an addition to what you just said. They're very used to really high mileage. Like they keep that medium long run of 12 to 14 in. I think they typically do it on Wednesday and that goes all the way through regional week as well. But also the key piece that they have going on there, Ben, is the workouts they typically do during the week are not what most would consider exceptionally hard. That's true. They run a lot of effort, uh, steady state, kind of like sub threshold marathon type paces. And because that's at elevation, it functions more like a tempo run. And they often don't run harder than that. And if they do, it's in very small gaps. Like if you've seen or listeners check out on YouTube, one of the most recent sweat elite videos was at an NAU practice. And Mike Smith spends the entire time pumping the brakes on his athletes on short reps that were quick. There's turnover, but they're not super fast for these guys. Like they can run much faster. And he's just trying to get that turnover, that neuromuscular stuff going on. And he's, he's constantly holding them back. So that is probably his counterbalance with, again, the best cross-country runners in the country. Even he creates a counterbalance during the week to make that back-to-back possible. Think what the rest of us should be doing. We either need really big recoveries before and after of days and days of easy running or cross training, or we got to separate the long and the really hard stuff. And and so this leads me, Ben, to really what I think are the key considerations of how that seven-day or even a longer cycle gets structured. And that's these two points. One, it's plotting when and if, as an aside in parentheses, and if you're doing a long run, And then two, how much recovery do you need between your harder sessions? Those considerations vary based on the distance you're training for. But we get a lot of people listening. I know because of the questions I get, especially from the folks in Istanbul, that are training for marathons and half marathons. Like that's really popular among our audience. The long run is really important for you guys. That's critical. It's so race specific. That doesn't mean though that you have to do it every seven days. It's probably just more appropriate for you than it is for a miler. A a miler may do it like, you know, Peter Snell's a great example, the incredible 800 miler who kept this long run up to 18 miles in his training regimen. Nick Willis is the great recent example who loves nailing the long run but that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. And in particular, they're doing it in their base. They may not always be doing it as they near the bigger competitions. So as you move down in distance, that may be a reason that you could either one, extend this training cycle and make it longer instead of weekly, it could be bi-weekly, or two, you could find other things to replace the long run. And I know that can be counterintuitive to people because we harp all the time on here on how important it is. I love it. It's my favorite run to do. But that doesn't mean you have to do it every weekend. I'll get back to that in a minute on what my next construction is going to look like in the next training cycle. Uh, But I think those two points are key to remember for when when you structure whatever your micro cycle looks like, don't base it around the traditional American work week. I realize that we fall into seven days because you're off work, so it makes it easier to do a long run on the weekend, or because you have a family and you have kids and you have other duties and responsibilities to take care of, that it's 
really difficult to do during the week, but if you have another day during the week where it's possible to go long, then you can really weigh, do I need to put this long run every seven days? How could I best space things out to separate my hard and long sessions? And I do, without getting too much into it, just want to point out, like we're talking about micro cycles, and that is a small sect of the macro cycle. And we need to know where we're at within our training because a micro cycle duration does not have to be consistent across a whole buildup. We will have diff different lengths of micro cycles throughout the buildup, depending on where we're at in that process. So if it makes sense to do it weekly at one point, doesn't mean later on when we focus on more quality that it may not make more sense to do it on a 10 day or 14 day cycle. We need to be adaptable and flexible with our training to best suit the needs of that current cycle. I am so happy you brought that point up because it was what I was just thinking in my head next. They don't have to look the same every time. And now when I thought this through uh, for my example, I'll use with myself in, in making notes of where I'm going. I am moving towards a 10 day cycle, which I've used twice in the past very effectively, but I literally have it written down as nine slash 10 in, in my notebook for what I'm going to do. Because one week a workout or a long run might be harder and I might need an extra day. Um, it also can be great if you're in a place like summer break, maybe you're on vacation or away from work and you have a couple weeks off, you can completely redesign. Let's, let's say you're in the base phase for the fall. You can completely redesign your structure there versus when you're pinned in a little bit more by your work structure. So that's, that's a significant point. And then to take it to the next step, let's say you're a 5K runner. To what Benji is saying, the point is this. Let's say, uh, hypothetically, Thanksgiving's coming up. A lot of people are doing turkey trots. Maybe that's your target race is a 5K on Thanksgiving. You may have been doing the weekly long run to this point where we're at Halloween right now. But that certain type of aerobic stimulus may not be totally necessary every week from here in because you might do stuff that's more race specific in its place and still get aerobic work, like uh, whether it's your tempo runs or tempo intervals that replace it. Or maybe you do a race. Maybe you run a half marathon. That could take the, the place of your long run. And so it evolves over time. So I just have four basic questions I like to ask when looking at composing training in regards to the long run. It's yeah. what is the goal of the long run right now? What event are we training for? What part of the training cycle are we in? And then also, what is the athlete's running age? Working with scholastic athletes especially, it's easy to see a talented freshman and want to give them the same assignment you're giving a senior whose muscular system is used to this stress. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of coaches, especially in the high school ranks, fall victim to that kind of cookie cutter process. And when we're drafting um, training, we need to remember that these kids may have been running for three months rather than four years. Running age is not reflected by just age of the runner. This is the beauty of the discussion you, are, you and I are having and what listeners you can do as you, end up, as you individualize for yourself and you work with, if you have a coach, you talk to that person about your calendar and how it fits. You can make decisions that are not about the short term. Like I have to be best for this year's, this fall's league cross country meet or whatever hypothetical thing it is that a high school and college coach has to think about because that person's putting food on the table by being successful in races with kids. And, and this is one of the potential drawbacks of the American system is it's not this natural progression focusing on long-term growth, which we harp on over and over is the best way to really get good at distance running. It's consistency over years. So you and I now get to say, ah, step back from that. We don't have to force somebody into, as you said, that cookie cutter mold. 
there's other ways that might be better for you. Those questions you laid out, someone may have very, very different answers, but be at the same kind of pace as compared to someone else. And so then improvement depends on those answers, not just what we would typically do for the random guy who runs uh, a 20 minute 5k and wants to run it in 19 minutes. Well, is that a high school sophomore or is it a 35 year old man? There's a whole lot of difference happening in between. This is one of the great things that I get working with some guys like your age, Ben, who have been, I don't want to say trapped, but they've been confined to a collegiate system. Clearly they loved and enjoyed and succeeded there because they're still running competitively. So their coach did a good job, <laughs> but their coach was still restricted by that structure of, hey, we got to be good at conference championship meet and we got to get guys to nationals or guess what? It doesn't matter how well-intentioned coach was. He or she doesn't have a job after a few years. And so now the, those athletes are freed from that. And, and when I talk with them, we can just be honest and say, there's more meets. Like if you don't feel right, if you've been sick, why are we forcing this? You're going to grow. You're going to get better. You'll be better in a year. And so that's the beauty of constructing this for the audience is there's going to be more races. You don't have to push all the chips in and force your schedule around a race instead of picking races in the long term around where you are as a runner and around a micro cycle that works for you. That's good stuff. So let's break down some of the other options. I've already mentioned the nine or 10 is where I'm headed. Before I break that down though, Ben, if you were going to veer off the seven day course, which I know coaching cross country like you do is really hard because that race schedule, especially in championship season is dictated to you. Uh, but let's say you want to train yourself or, or with a group for whatever distance, doesn't matter, whatever you're interested in. And it's a blank slate. The only stipulation is you can't do a seven day. Oh man. Okay. Okay. So we, we have already discussed what that seven day would look like. What would you pick and how might you put that together? Wow. Is this assuming I'm already at a level where I can start doing workouts? Great points. The answer is yes. And that's a key point for the listeners to, to remember here is uh, you can construct these on different days, seven versus 10 versus 14, et cetera, cycles in your base phase. But remember, you still have to create a good base. You still have to work on the appropriate skills at the appropriate times. And so the answer is yes, Ben. We're now moving to a point where let's say we are within a couple months out from a target race. Like you got something on the calendar now and you didn't just pick it and try to force yourself to get ready for it. You are actually ready to do the specific work that leads up to it. I think I would go with an 11 day cycle. Okay, cool. 11 days. Uh, lay it out to me. Let's talk about it. Sure. So that would look essentially a Wednesday to Saturday. Yep. In my world. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's going to look something like one long run, a medium long run and two sessions in there. Yeah. I like that I, a lot. I personally, as an athlete, always benefited with a lot of supplementary work. And so that gives me enough time to space out those quality days, but allow myself to have days where I'm focused on hip work and core work and flexibility work without compromising a session immediately the next day or compromising the recovery process. Yeah. I need to do those little things just as much as I need to get a quality session in. Let's remove this from the hypothetical and apply it to the listener. What he just laid out for you can fit into the traditional American work week and the traditional weekend long structure on many of the weeks. Because yes. you could start this on Wednesday 
with your workout. You could medium long on that weekend. You go to a hard session again in the middle of the next week. And then on the following Saturday, you're going long. And then it's kind of a rinse and repeat as we move through because you're going to have a little bit of space and then you're going to go into your workout and you can figure you could move the long run around some within this. The long run could still fall on a lot of weekends, whether it's a Saturday or a Sunday, that might have to alter. Uh, and it's not going to be every week there. But what you saw was just that first 11 days that he put out, both the medium long and the long effort actually fell on a weekend. So yeah. it can still be made. It won't always fall that way. But when needed to, it can. And then here's the flexibility. You could flip between that 11 and maybe a 12 or whatever if you need to make those adjustments with your schedule. I like what you just put out there, especially in the, the base phase. What I start to trend toward when I talk about a nine or 10 day calendar for myself and for the few athletes I work with who like to do this as well, again, they're restricted by their work calendars. I then move, I, I pinch that a little bit and go to nine or 10 because we're nearing marathons and half marathons. And a lot of times, the one of two things happens with the medium long run a workout becomes the medium long run because it's so meaty in its volume right your structure there may look more maybe you know if you were doing more like 5k or 10k work those sessions might not be as voluminous and so you you separate them from the medium long but sometimes marathon workouts in particular get really long and they could take the place of medium long. Or also when your mileage gets really high, it's a little easier and it's still okay in my opinion, if you're on a 10 day, to go back to back off a, a quality session with a medium long right after it. Uh, because medium long is no longer really that difficult for you. Like if you've been doing a bunch of 20 milers in a marathon cycle and like, let's say 10 miles is becoming somewhat of a norm for you. If I were to work out and then come back the following day and do like 13 miles, it's not that much more work than normal. So let me again, remove that from the hypothetical and put that into practice of what this might be for me. Um, nine, ten-ish day structure. I, I would include two quality sessions. And then the third workout in that would be the long run. This may look like it, it would just kind of repeat and recycle. Days one and two are easy. Day three is a workout. Day four and five are easy. Day six is a workout. Maybe day six was a beefier workout. So now day seven, eight, and nine are easy, and day 10 is a long run. And then I go right back to the beginning. One is easy, two is easy. Now let me add the other wrinkle in, plus strides. So typically the 10-day the cycle also works well with putting that easy plus strides in the days before your workouts and the days before your long runs. Uh, so I've mentioned this here before in a 10-day cycle, like I just laid out, where three, six, and 10 are the hardest efforts, two, five, and nine can be easy with strides. Also in that, if day six was a workout, maybe eight could be medium long if you wanted to put it in and it's still spaced away from both your long run and your hardest workout. It would be easy, it's medium long, easy. I'm not pressing the pace on that at all. Okay. That's a nice hypothetical 10 day structure. You could very easily, if the workouts on as hard, condense that down to nine or vary back and forth. That's what I like to do based on how difficult the workouts are. And here's the great thing about this guys. And this is what works in Ben's schedule. It works in mine. It can work in yours. It's all about being responsive, not to the calendar but to how you feel, it gives you the freedom to adjust. We are so programmed to drive through it and just 
squeeze in that long run on Saturday or that workout on Wednesday that we always do. But if you give yourself a, a little bigger micro cycle and you're willing to wiggle around within it a little bit, you can get to workouts at times when they best benefit you. Sometimes you've got to be able to run hard when you're tired. I get that. That's an important part of racing. But you shouldn't be doing it every time you do a workout because then you're just burning yourself out. You're burning the candle too thin. That's not even actually – that, that's some weird mixed metaphor I just made up, burning a candle too thin. I don't even know what that really means. But you are burning yourself out and you're not really able to, to incorporate new skills because you're always tired when you get to them. You learn a skill and develop speed, for example, when you're fresh. Then you can later on sharpen it when you're tired. And there is a difference between being tired and being broken down. Mm. And it's really important to know the difference. I'm a broken man. Yes. <laughs> You're 100% correct. I think the reason I'm so emphatic about this, Ben, is we're not good at knowing the difference, because not because we don't actually know it, but because as distance runners, we tend to be highly motivated people. You're mm. listening up to this because you like running and racing. You want to be better. <laughs> and, and so you, you push yourself. You push. But sometimes pulling back is, is what's needed. I want to add who I think is the master at the, um, the flexible microcycle is former Oregon coach Bill Dellinger. Mm. His fall cross-country schedule was almost always on the seven-day cycle through almost the entire season because of when they can, you know, colleges raced more than two. They don't always race now. They get a lot of weeks off, but they raced a lot. And so they were working around a seven-day weekend race calendar. But if you read his stuff, I know you have some Dellinger books that you dig into. If you can get your hands on out there, it's really hard to get and it's really expensive now. But Winning Running by Dellinger is just absolutely top-notch. That's late 70s. And that's at the point where he's getting guys like Salazar. And you see in his work, and this comes true again then later on with a runner like Salazar, when they transition to longer races on the road, they move away from college cross country. It's not cross country season anymore. There's not all these cross country races. And I'll add during that time, host collegiates ran cross country more and raced more consistently in general. He would keep them within that seven-day cycle then. And then when it was maybe that's building to like a spring marathon, let's just say, they'll work into 14 or even 21-day options. And so he was willing to show that flexibility because it was best for the athlete's goal. That says it all to me right there. What's best for your goal that's going to help you become a, a better, faster runner? How do I determine what is best for my goal? <laughs> One is take a step back and, and don't just do things because it's the way it's always been done or it's the way that everybody that you run with does it. That doesn't mean that those are bad. It just means make sure we evaluate it. Two, go back to the core question or set of questions that we've built this show around. Why am I doing what I'm doing when I'm doing it? If I can't explain that, then what the heck was the point? <laughs> uh, you know, I had this conversation with one of our guys who is, he's running at the 10K at the Sphinx Run Fest, but it's really a tune-up for a, a 10-mile race later in the fall that's bigger. And he, he asked me a wonderful question. He said, this workout, which was leading up to a 10K, it was a race week workout. He said, was this supposed to make me feel great or beat me up or none of the above? <laughs> and if you can't answer that question or the person you're working through your training with can't answer that question, then maybe what you're doing is right. Maybe it's best for your goal, but we really don't know. 
Then part three is a more direct answer to your question, Ben, of where are you right now? And what are the skills and abilities that you need to develop to be good on race day? So uh, let's just, let's say it's a marathon. I'll start with that example. At some point, you're going to need to incorporate a good amount of running long. As we've said here, it's not about one big run leading up to it. I'm, I'm much more likely to look at the average of, say, five longest runs or average of long runs over the two months leading up to the race. That, to me, is a much better indicator. But if all you've done right now is up to six miles and you want to do a marathon in two months, we got to get going with some long runs and you probably need to get them in consistently because you're not just going to jump immediately to 15 and then 20. You want to build a little bit to it. Let's say it's a 5k is your goal down the road and you've done a ton of base mileage. You've got the aerobic stuff developed, but you feel like you're lacking power. You don't have the strength and speed combination you need to hit your goal. Then maybe we build this cycle more around the long run is not the critical element, so maybe I don't need it every seven days now. Maybe I can push that back a little bit, but I haven't had the power, so maybe what I need to put in here that I haven't done enough of are hills. And maybe if I lengthen my cycle from seven days to, let's just, I'll use 10 again as an example, maybe I could do two different styles of hill runs as workouts in between long runs, or maybe it's a tempo run rather than a long run at the end of the 10 days. Maybe I have uh, shorter hills that are faster at like 30 seconds. And then I have fewer of them, but long ones that are 90 seconds that are really grinding even up towards three minutes, like three minutes on an uphill is so good, so hard. And like the greatest replacement I can think of for any training you do at like VO2 max pace, which is going to be really close, slightly faster than your 5k pace. So it's somewhat race specific too. So that's how I would start to evaluate my goals. I would look at my current strengths and weaknesses. And then what does the event demand of me? Some other options to think about that have been popular historically. I mentioned the Dellinger stuff. He's great if you want to look at what he did over cycles ranging, any, ranging anywhere from 7 to 21 days. So he's really good there. Frank Horwell, with what is called the, the five-tier system, we often refer to it as the five-pace assist. It's a 14-day calendar that became incredibly influential among uh, many of the great British runners of the 70s and 80s. This is like Seb Coe, Sebastian Coe, a preeminent 800 miler runner of the late 70s, early into mid 80s. Uh, his training was built around Horwell's, uh, Horwell's five-tier system. The basic premise here is it's a 14-day calendar typically. It can be done in 10, but that's really squeezing it in. Maybe Co could do that, but most of us couldn't. 14-day calendars are perfectly set up for five sessions, including long run uh, for most of us. So I'll come back to that. But to define the Horwell stuff, what he would do is he would do one session at kind of race pace or race effort. And then you're going to do two that are faster, shorter and faster, and two that are longer and slightly slower. So hypothetically, you're training for a 10K. You might have a session in that that's 10K specific. You might have one that's 5K type of pace or effort so that it's faster. And then maybe you have short hills so they're really fast and powerful. And then on the flip side, you might work at more like threshold pace, 15K to half marathon, and then you may have a long run, or you may do a marathon paced slightly slower tempo. That's the Horwell structure. It makes a ton of sense, and it worked its way into training for mid-distances and long distances all around the world by the 80s and 90s. And a lot of what we do today is built on it. But think about this. Even if you want to run long every weekend, if that's what you need or want and enjoy, and it fits your goals, you could fit that into a 14-day cycle 
because what you could do is run long on each of the weekends. But in between, I'll start on week one. Let's say Monday's the first day. Tuesday, I do a hard session, all right? Whatever that means to you as a runner. I'm, maybe you're on the track. Friday, I might go do some hills, a little easier to recover from. Sunday's my long run. Now in the next week, I can go Wednesday, Saturday. Mm. And those might be the hardest sessions. That Wednesday, because it's spaced from the Sunday long run and the following Saturday long run, that Wednesday is my most challenging workout of the 14 days. And then that Saturday is if I do quality in my long run, I put it on that Saturday because now I have two easy days back to Tuesday and I work through it all again. I've used this one. I like this one a lot. What I find happening here that's just troublesome for me is I can never sync with my friends when I start doing this because you're constantly every week changing your long run day and your workout day. And I know that's big for a lot of us. We're, you know, we're social beings. We, we run in part because that's where we spend time with the people we love. And so that's the challenge. If you run alone, this can be great for you. This can be just bang on what you want to do. But if you run with a group of people, it might mean there's a week where you don't get to see them and work out with them. And maybe you just do better in a group or just enjoy it. So that's a great 14 day option. A lot of pros right now. And we will again point out that we know you can't recover like a pro. And that's one of the cons in any of these non seven day cycles is we can't just recover all day after a Tuesday long run because we have jobs to go to. But if you look at a lot of pros, Ben True is a great example who we mentioned earlier who is running New York and he's got his long run stuff with all his work up on Strava right now. He might be the most, or I shouldn't say that, he is one of the most successful American male athletes who puts all his data on Strava. He is the most successful. There's others out there, but he's not got a great everything. Yeah. That's right. He's not hiding anything. And, uh, and then there's guys like me who get on Strava only to look at what Ben True has done and write it down so that I can have his entire training log listed out. Not necessarily because that means, oh, I'm just going to apply it for myself or, or someone else that I work with, but because I love to see what's going through his head. And now I can put it in a spreadsheet and have it for months of what he did. And, and that's just, that's beautiful. And, and someone actually asked him in the Strava comments within the past few weeks, I can't remember the date, but when I was injured here and suddenly an hour or two hours of my day that I spent out running, working out is now just laying on the couch. I went through a bunch of this data to, to compile stuff and someone asked him, it seems like you're not doing a long run every weekend. Do you not work into that system? And he had a, an, a wonderful, honest answer. He said, I don't know that our bodies always respond to that set schedule. Sometimes I need more time. We're trying to force it into a calendar. And so I don't do that. Wow. And, and yeah, and it's, it's beautiful and simple. And it works for him. But I mentioned Emily Sisson earlier. Molly Huddle's another great example. They work together a lot. They're often on a 12-day training cycle during marathon process. And uh, that can look a little bit like, more like your 11, where it's just two workouts in there. Uh, but it could vary and be three workouts as well. And then what they'll do, uh, what Emily Sisson does, because a lot of these pro runners aren't taking any days off. Uh, and some of you are. And some of you need to be. And that's good. But what she mentioned is like, then day 13, which is the flip back to day one, is this day that's so easy, it almost serves as an off day for her. It's like five miles, which when you're doing huge volumes of mileage, five is very little, at an incredibly slow pace. And it's just this total recharge. There's a, a young guy I work with who is studying for, a, a, he's, he's got a full-time job, and he's studying for this really challenging graduate exam. And he's up late and at times just burn out. 
And we had to go to the point where we said, okay, there are times after a workout the next day, you just need to trot around for a few minutes just to move. And otherwise, we don't need to be spending the time running. For Emily Sisson, that day 13 is just a few miles, really, really easy, or has been at times in the past. I shouldn't assert she always does this, but it's a good example. And then she can roll right into the next cycle and get going. So I have a question for you as well, because you mentioned this grad student. Do you alter training schedules based on outside stressors? Um, so if you're working with this grad student, could that change your microcycle if you know he has exams coming up? Do you take that into consideration when looking at his training? Yes. And this would go back to our episode recently where I broke down some of the um, training that Molly Seidel did leading up to her Olympic medal in the marathon, where she was quick to point out what I totally agree with, stress is stress. It affects every aspect of your life. And so for the person listening who has a full-time job and who knows I got a bunch of deadlines coming at work, plus it's my kid's birthday coming up, plus it's our anniversary coming up, and I got all these other pieces, don't try to force everything in. Remember that those other things are as or more important than your running. Don't try to force everything in. Understand that. Find the appropriate balance. You know, people will like talk about like work-life balance. I, I don't really like that because it separates the things so distinctly. I think there's more of a synergy going on there that this should be a great part of what makes you a better worker because you go out and you get energized and you stay active and you stay healthy. And it helps make you a better friend and it helps make you a better employee and et cetera down the line. So they all work together. But when we, we push it too much in each of these aspects, stress is stress. You're going to overload if you don't accommodate. And that's not to say that I or anyone else does it perfectly, but just being aware of it and considering that into these training cycles is the first step towards doing this much more effectively. When I was working at a corporate running store, uh, there was a gentleman I worked with who had worked in South Korea Mm. uh, for an extensive amount of time and had befriended a group of Buddhist Catholics. They kind of used Buddhism as like a self-guiding morality system. Mm -hmm. Oh, praised god or the god of catholicism yeah and they put it as work-life harmony yeah i like that which i know that's synonymous with synergy but that uh, that just always stuck with me when he told me that yeah i think that's well put and that is really what we're striving for a harmony among all these aspects of life and then these training microcycles are about creating harmony within your training schedule Mm. right? Uh, It's about getting all the elements in, but getting them in appropriately. If I try to force in, in my own marathon training, a long run, uh, some faster work at like 10k pace, um, something steadier, like half marathon and hills all into a week, I'm not going to have any harmony. But if I stretch this thing out to 10 or 12 days, now I can hit all the aspects I like And by the time I get back to that aspect, just given the natural cycles on which our body adapts to stimulus, I've probably had a little bit more time to improve from the previous similar adaptation. And so if I keep hammering 5K pace every week on a Tuesday, the next time I do it, I haven't really benefited from the previous one. It's only the time after that that I've started to, and maybe like three weeks down the road that I really have the benefit. But if I rotate and I work all those in and I spread them out over more time, by the time I get back to 5K pace, because I've worked on other aspects of my training, there's a different stimulus worked on. It helps buttress my 5K pace, 
and it's been longer since I did 5KB. So that workout that I did two weeks ago, I've actually started to adapt to now. And so that's a nice piece of harmony happening just within the running. You got other thoughts, questions, Benji? I just want to say, if you're training for an ultra, throw all of this out the window. <laughs> this means nothing to you. Eat as much as you can, <laughs> as much as you can. Long run every day. Good luck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, funny, but it's not exactly true. This does no, still it, 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 it still matters. But yeah, we didn't go in a lot of ultra specifics here. But I do think it actually plays back to an original point we made, which is know what your race is and what it requires of you. And yeah, long runs are a big deal if you're training for an ultra. You're not going anywhere near the distance. Like if you're training for a hundred miler, you're not going out and trying to do 80s every weekend, but you're going to do plenty of long runs. And so you have to then construct, go back to our two original considerations, plotting that long run and how much recovery you need after it and before it and figuring out how your microcycle works. I think that's a, a really key point. So we've talked about, sorry, this is a tangent, but no, let's do it. We talked ultra training before, now that I've shifted gears to this. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the desire or habit of ultra runners to do back to back long runs. Yeah. And I think it's not important to note, but I, I think we should note since we're having this discussion that that back to back long run is actually one training session. It takes place over a 24-hour period usually, but that recovery in between and having it in that condensed format, it is one training session. So when we're looking at a calendar or a cycle for that, I think you have to note that it's just one session that lasts two days. I thought that's where you were going to go with that, and I'm glad you did because it brings us somewhat full circle here to saying you also have to have plenty of recovery after it. and. That is much like what we said with if you're going to do a traditional seven-day cycle and have a race and try to do something long near it afterward, it's very similar. And in that case, actually, the race plus the long run is even harder uh, often because it's different adaptations occurring within that same short window. You have to be really careful about how often you do that. You have to be careful about how often you do back-to-back -back long runs, and you have to be careful about how much space you give yourself after it before you go to the next hard one. If you have any question, like let's say you had a really, really tough weekend uh, of running, and it's like Wednesdays on the calendar for the next workout that you are planning, if you have any question when it comes to Wednesday morning and you don't think you're ready, you're probably not ready. Push it back a day and talk to your coach about that. But generally pushing it back a day is going to be the better route. I feel like we did a lot of pros and cons here, which hopefully gives all of you some guidance on how you can use this. I think this is one of the most interesting overlooked aspects of training for the recreational runner, regardless of that person's competitive level. We just kind of assume seven days works and it can uh, but we get so caught up in doing like different workouts you know and what, what's the hard day gonna look like and we overlook some big things like one again consistency is what matters it's just going out and doing a lot of boring stuff often is how you become really good and two you can stretch that stuff out you can move it around you can change its place it doesn't have to be on seven days and it's this variable of training that many of us just don't think about. So now take some time, reconsider it, think about your goals, what might work for you. And then if you still do a seven-day cycle, which a lot of you will, great. But now you're armed with the why of why you do it when you do it. And you're going to have even more confidence in what you're doing. If you switch, Ah, great. Now you're going to have some confidence in finding, oh, maybe I did need more recovery in this 10-day cycle works for me. Or maybe that 14 idea where I have kind of five efforts going on. I still get my long runs on the weekend, 
but now I'm not trying to squeeze two hard sessions in the middle of every week. Maybe that's what works for you. You have an opportunity now to either do what you did before or something new, but do both of them with more confidence because you've reflected and examined your training and you know your purpose. Benjamin, I love this topic. This is a lot of fun. I love talking about it with you. Great questions as always from you. You are my counterbalance and I appreciate you, buddy. And you are my tender honey bear. <laughs> with that, <laughs> I would say we're signing off for mile 98. Please, if you have not already and you enjoy the stuff you're listening to, subscribe, rate, and review. Say berate? Uh, no, please rate. <laughs> if you want to berate us, I'd prefer that you just not go in and do any ra ratings or reviews, but I'll leave that up to the audience. Um, maybe comments about tender honey bear, wh whatever you need. But we really appreciate all of you listening and we do appreciate uh, the feedback and response. So subscribe wherever you listen, rate and review. Please email us questions, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We love reading that stuff. It sparks a lot of ideas for this show and it's how we get to engage with wonderful people listening. It's about time to say welcome to November and we'll see you next time on mile 99. So we will see everybody then. Have a wonderful week. Bye.